Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Tot Tottenham. We're back after a two-week break. I think we were due to have one last week, but Alistair had their, unfortunately had their bout of COVID, so was unavailable for a large part of last week. So first of all, Ali, how are you feeling now? 100% getting there? Yeah, I'm better. There's nothing nothing like travelling up to Newcastle and St James's Park on a, you know, getting back at one in the morning. You know, it's, it's just what you need after just kind of recovering from uh, COVID. No, to, to be honest, uh, no, much better. Thank you very much. It's just probably would have been a bit of an iffy podcast had I done it last week with lots of coughing and, and me feeling uh, and looking rather unpleasant or more unpleasant than normal. So, uh Yes, COVID recruited me into its growing army of people, um, and uh, but I'm better now. So uh, I'm cheered by a win as well, which we can really delve into. Yeah, so a really good win for Tottenham once again. I think it was another much-needed win, especially after the 2-1 win against Aston Villa before the international break. Went to St. James's Park, uh, very electric atmosphere there yesterday following their recent takeover. I think everyone was probably expecting Newcastle to start off uh, the new tenure with three points, especially when ahead of the game there was all the talk of two positive COVID tests in the Tottenham camp, what in the end that turned out to be false positives, thankfully. And Spurs did get uh, three points despite falling behind after two minutes to Callum Wilson's goal. So, then before we talk all the game and reflect on what was an important win, I think it's probably only right to discuss what happened in the first half, uh, in the final five minutes or so of that with, uh, unfortunately, one Newcastle fan taking ill in the stand. I uh, saw that person receive emergency medical treatment. Thankfully, Sergio Regalon saw what was happening, pointed it out to the referee, Eric Dyer, uh, obviously went over, realised that they needed the uh, defibrillator and then ran over to the touchline to get the medics over. And thankfully, that person was last night in a stable condition in the hospital. So, Ali, obviously, you were at St. James's Park. Do you want to just tell everyone what that whole scenario was like? Because, I mean, for a few moments, I guess it was no one knew what actually was happening over there. Yeah, it was it was really kind of unsettling. At first, because of the way they were reacting with each other, we actually thought someone had perhaps thrown something at Sergio Regulon. It, it was very, very strange. No one ever we were so far away that the press box is completely opposite area of the ground and we, we kind of were just trying to work it out as we went. It's one of those scenarios where we obviously have to be really careful as journalists to make sure we're reporting what actually is happening rather than what we think might be happening. Um so we had, we had to be very careful with that, obviously, and, and people that couldn't tell on the TV and everything. And it kind of quickly became apparent after that that, yes, yeah, something seriously was going wrong up there. Um, 
and yeah, Sergio Regulon, you know, what what had happened was that it was an elderly gentleman who'd uh, collapsed up in the stand. And, you know, I know it's an old cliche, but they always say in, in a weird way, if there's anywhere that you do want to collapse, it's at a football ground, probably due to the sheer number of medical staff and facilities and everything there around you. And so that proved to be the case. And I believe it was a, a Dr. Tom Pritchard who works in the uh, the A&E actually kind of ran over and very quickly started CPR on the chap who he said had gone into cardiac arrest. And uh, Regulon was being made aware of it as well by the Newcastle fans beside, on his side. Um, he very quickly came across to Andre Marin, the referee, and said, look, stop. You've got to stop everything. Look, look what's happening over there. The referee went over, spoke to a policeman at the sidelines, um, and you saw Eric Dyer sprinted across as well to come and get a defibrillator. What Eric Dyer, to be fair, he actually uh, clarified afterwards. He said in the heat of the moment, he ran over to do that because he thought, of course, like we all now know, every second counts in those moments. But what he wanted to say, he actually went to the Newcastle member of staff that he'd kind of shouted at after the game to apologise because it was made clear to him that they actually did already have defibrillators over that side of the pitch. But obviously he wasn't to know that. So again, really quick thinking from everyone involved. Um, I felt so, uh, obviously, thoughts go out to the person, their family, of course, but also felt sorry for um, Pierre Milhoibier. I saw him coming coming off the pitch over the sideline. He was doing the sign of the cross on himself because obviously for him, it would be so fresh what happened to Christian Eriksen on the pitch, uh, you know, in the European Championships. And to kind of see something like this happening again. Uh, but thankfully, you know, once again, as with Christian Eriksen, we, there's positive um, that came from it. And, and the fan, we were told, I think it was within about 20 minutes, he'd been stabilised and taken to hospital. And uh, it sounds like hopefully now it's all positive. And uh, thank goodness for the quick reactions of everyone around him, really. And yeah, very unusual and after everything obviously that happened at Newcastle before the game with the incredible noise and and the emotions and everything that were going this was entirely not what anyone expected you know and just it was about 40 45 minutes into the game um very strange atmosphere and and obviously for Spurs fans we we obviously um we kind of saw it at White Hart Lane with Fabrice Moamba and what happened then it's uh as I say, it's a horrible, horrible thing, but thankfully yet another example of where people have reacted quickly and uh, there's been a positive outcome. Yeah, I think a lot of people deserve plenty of praise for what happened yesterday because things could have been far, far worse. So anyway, let's get on to the game. What was uh, another much-needed win for Nuno Spirit, Sano and Tottenham? As we mentioned, it was such a... <sighs> Good atmosphere inside St James's. Yesterday, one that the the probably not seen on Tyneside for what fourteen years or so uh, in Mike Ashley's reign. But that all changed. I think everyone's expecting the good times to come back uh, to Newcastle United after so long uh, without them in recent years. And I think for Tottenham, it was so important how how he started the game yesterday because Newcastle were always going to start on the front foot with everyone behind them, and then. I think probably people expected it. Uh, Callum Wilson getting ahead of Christian Romero to head Newcastle in front after two minutes. I think when it's like that, you know, Newcastle could have probably pushed on and maybe got another one with uh, the new, the bounce of the new owners and everyone behind them. But Tottenham after that probably 
bit of a sloppy 10, 15 minutes or so when they weren't at the best. I think they recovered well after that and managed it really well. I think in that situation, it's about playing the game, not the occasion. And handled it really well uh, from then on and deservedly came out with uh, all three points. I think the scoreline 3-2 makes it look a lot closer than it actually was. Uh, certainly looks a bit more respectable towards Newcastle, but Spurs fully deserve that three points and they had a couple of openings uh, in the second half where if the final ball was a lot better, they could have made it four or potentially five. Uh, I mean, what did you make of the performance overall then, Ali? Yeah, it was it was completely the wrong start. <laughs> it was like... You know, the, the new guy, it was it was so noisy for someone <clears throat> having just recovered from COVID and with, with a banging headache and stuff like that. It, it was probably exactly what I didn't need or Tottenham needed. I mean, <clears throat> they did this massive banner at the bottom on one of the stands. It was like, because uh, this is a mighty town built upon a solid ground and everything they tried so hard to kill, we will re-rebuild. And I think that was probably, it was almost as much about Mike Ashley going than the new people coming in. I think, uh, yeah, you know, Spurs Spurs fans have their own frustrations with their, with their owners and chairman and things like that. But my goodness, you know, Newcastle is a whole other level. And, and I think you could just feel that uh, when the match started, the, the, the noise, and it essentially propelled Newcastle forward in the opening minutes. And, and this is the thing that we can't forget. It's whatever has happened behind the scenes and whatever you know, money is coming in. However, you look at how that money has come in, which is a whole other matter as well. Um, but ultimately, the team on the pitch is still the struggling Steve Bruce's Newcastle. And, and while those opening minutes they were very much propelled forward, and I mean, you can look at the defending was not great at all for the opening goal. Emerson made this very strange kind of stabby clearance thing that didn't do anything. Uh, then Romero was beaten far too easily to the ball by Wilson. Although it was good movement by Wilson, you've got to give him that as well. Um, but yeah, you just kind of felt, I don't know, I, I don't know whether I was the only one, but I didn't feel that, all right, that's it, Spurs are stuffed. I didn't feel that. I still felt, well, this is still that Newcastle side that, you know, I, I was talking to some of the um, reporters that cover Newcastle and they were very much like, this is only going to be a party off in the stand, like kind of off the pitch. This isn't going to be a party on it. This is not that Newcastle side at all. And so it proved to be. And I, and I felt, on while on one hand, I thought Newcastle were abysmal at times, they were really were poor. I do think, and it probably, I don't know how much credit they'll get for it, but I think Spurs contributed to that. I don't think, you know, I think Spurs, as we, you know, you said, they managed the game very, very well. And for me now, that's two games in a row, having heard Nuno constantly kind of concerned and criticising how badly Spurs react to adversity. That's two games in a row now where they've really quickly got their heads in gear after negative things have happened. And when I say that for yesterday, I mean, not only for the goal uh, they conceded, I thought they came back really quickly from that, but also that obviously that really unsettling period with, with the fan being worked on in the stands. When the football resumed, Spurs were right back on it. They were very quickly back into their stride. And that that's a huge thing for, for Nuno to kind of turn that mentality around. Um, and they, they played really well. I think there were some kind of key performances in there. I thought Tongi, uh, Tongi and Emele 
was excellent. He, I'm told, I've got to check it out, but I'm told he covered more um, yards on the pitch than any other player. Um, and that, and that, that looked to be the case for me. Certainly he was everywhere. That number 10 role, it does suit him. It does suit him. It, it kind of does take some of the defensive responsibility off of him, but he's the kind of guy that still kind of tracks back as well, which is which is great because it's something that he has been criticised for not doing. Um, but, you know, what's his name? Um, John Joe Shelby's first yellow card was fouling Tongi Onimbele, who had come back to uh, to help out Sergio Regulon. And Onimbele's goal was terrific. Um, on first look, I actually thought he curled it in the bottom corner, but when you kind of watch it back, you realise it's like a really flat kind of punch of the hit. It's a really, really nice shot. Um, second goal, obviously, Harry Kane well onside. You know, it's one of those where even he didn't think he was onside, but you watch it back, and he was so far onside. It wasn't even a close call. Um, and that was great for him. Great for him to kind of get back in among the goals, and, and especially his first Premier League goal. Lovely ball from Hoybier, which I don't think people are probably talking about enough. Um, and then the third goal was exactly what we've been waiting for. That's the Tottenham Hotspur kind of... It wasn't about a long ball over the top. It wasn't about a quick counter or anything like that. It was just purely a really good move. And again, Tongi at the heart of it with Lucas as well. And yeah, Harry Kane, watch his pass across to Son. It's like a no-look pass and the weight on it is perfect. And um, like you say, the, the you know Eric Dyer's weird needing own goal at the end was that it, it made the scoreline look like something completely different, like to a different game. Spurs managed it to a tee. Even after that own goal, they were just playing the ball around. If they'd wanted to, they probably could have gone in the box and scored more, but they just kind of kept the ball on the flanks and just kept it away from Newcastle. And uh, yeah, this was much, much better from Tottenham and from Nuno as well. I think as well, probably conceding after two minutes, obviously you don't want to do it, but maybe it helps Spurs because then you've got to come out and play. I know a lot of people were saying prior uh, to the first international break that Tottenham weren't doing enough in the final third and scoring from open play. I think it was what three goals had scored uh, in the first three games. But conceding early means you've got to come out and play and that's what they did and to be honest you better conceding after two minutes rather than in the final two minutes of the game but I thought Spurs <laughs> played so yeah, yeah it's true I thought Spurs played some uh, really good stuff yesterday I just thought at times I thought the final pass was lacking uh, I think there was occasion in the second half where Kane was would have been clean, clean through. There was a huge gap for Lucas to hit, but I think he just took an extra touch. And then in the end, he decided to play Sonnen, who was offside. There was then the one where Hoybier could have released Kane. Uh, he didn't. So I think there's plenty of positives to take uh, going forward. So it's going to be uh, a tough run of games coming up now. You've got obviously West Ham away at the weekend. Manchester United at home. I mean, you don't know what you're going to get with United at the moment. Then yeah. Everton away, start of November. So uh, another important win, another good performance. Just can keep on building from there, keep building that momentum, just keep pushing on. I think he's what, four points from the top now in the Premier League, maybe a point yeah, off it, Champions League. This is the thing, isn't it? It's like, 
if I'm doing Nurse Red Santo, I'm taking all the criticism that I've had and I'm just saying, look at that league table. I know we're early days, but four points off the top. Everyone else, all these other teams getting all of this praise. Spurs have won five out of their eight games, which is more than 16 other teams in the division. Uh, you know, they're in fifth place. They're, they're above the likes of Man United, West Ham, Leicester, who all finished above them last season. Um, and yeah, of course, there's no getting away from those three derbies were terrible. They, they were really, really awful. But other than that, he's trying to build something. And honestly, I mean, actually, I'm going to talk about it in a minute. I just want to ask you one question before I let you kind of pass it over to me. What did you make of uh, Skip and Hoybier yesterday? Nuno picked them out afterwards as saying how kind of important they were as a foundation for the attacking players. Did you feel that? 100%. Uh, I didn't watch the match live. I have I avoided all notifications, <laughs> everything. Watched the full 90 minutes back. Uh, and yeah, I thought Skip was fantastic yesterday. To be honest, and I know we've said it in the past few podcasts, it just... So, so strange that he wasn't in the starting lineup against Chelsea and then Arsenal. And Looking weird I, know, weird decision. I know, I know. I mean, people can point out that well, he doesn't do much in terms of goals and assists, but what you can say about him is when he's not in the team, you notice it. And yeah. he, he, he unlocks Hoybier completely. Yeah. Hoybier is a different player with Skip in the team. Yeah, and Skip defensively. Did some brilliant tackles. I think he did a really good slide tackle on the edge of the uh, Tottenham area when one of the Newcastle players looked like they were going to get in a good position. A couple of really good interceptions. He's been fantastic this season. And I think that's your first choice midfield pairing. Now, those two, I just don't think you can drop them. And as you said, with skipping there, it allows Hoybier to be you know, more of a box-to-box midfielder rather than uh, what we saw last season when he was probably more of a defensive midfielder. Because at the Euros, he contributed really well for Denmark in an attacking sense. He was top of the assists at one point. I can't remember if he did actually uh, come out on top overall following the tournament. But there's a lot to Pierre-Emil Hoybier's game and we've seen that so far this season. The goal against Aston Villa, the assist. Uh, so yeah, I'm really, really impressed with those two together. And I think Nuno's now probably getting towards Nuno's his, his strongest eleven. So I think that's a good thing and hopefully, injury permitting, we'll see them all together more often than not. Yeah, I think so. I think you've, you've nailed it there. I think he is getting much, much closer to that, knowing what he's... I mean, well, he said, to be fair, he said before the game that he very much he wanted to start the same eleven that started against uh, Aston Villa. But at that point, he didn't believe he could because of, obviously, the two, um, two false positives that, well, we know now they were false positives. But, you know, that, that just kind of brings me on to my next point for Nuno. I just feel like the poor guy has it's just been fighting fires ever since he came to the club. I just can't think of, you know, I mean, you look at Steve Bruce, who looks like a guy that's had to do kind of similar stuff at Newcastle, but for Nuno at Spurs, he's only been here since, you know, July. And he just had so much go wrong. Even, I mean, let, let's let's ignore, although we shouldn't, let's ignore the fact that, you know, go straight back to the start, we had to deal with the 
Kane situation, the Ndombele situation, the not having players back from the Euros and ready for him to kind of have any kind of put any mark on them in training and stuff like that. Then he had that first international break, which was an absolute disaster. It was such a complete and utter mess. So you kind of thought this international break, I actually thought I'd taken, you know, myself, I thought I'd taken the hit for Tottenham by getting COVID. I thought, okay, there you go. I'll take the hit this international break. But no, then they had these two positive tests. Um, and I just say as a kind of a, a old man kind of comment, I think that also goes to show with the negatives that later came, how this society in where we've got to know the names. We have to know the names of these people with their medical, you know, is their medical issues. And as it proved out to be, um, proved to be, they weren't positive anyway. Can you imagine if those names were actually, a, you know, were reported and then without their permission and they didn't even have it in the first place? This is like, I had people on Twitter asking me like, you just say the names. Just say the names. Can't you at least hint at it? It's in our public interest. It's like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's like, can you imagine someone broadcasting your medical kind of uh, privacy, whatever, your medical history out on the internet? It's just, it is kind of the world we live in. I had, I had one person even tweeted me that saying, uh, you know, it's important that I know. What if I met one of these players out and about? <laughs> it's like, I looked at his bio. He came from another country. He didn't even live in England. <laughs> it's like, you're just talking rubbish because it's probably for your fancy football team you don't want to put them in. <coughs> Excuse me, but yeah, I just think that was um, just one of those little important moments maybe to, I mean, it, of course, it won't make any difference. The next time it happens, people will say it again. But I just felt that that just shows how, I mean, to be honest, you know, to have two false positives as well with two different players, even that alone, it was kind of, uh, you know, what are the chances of that? But very much the club said, you know, they went through all the protocols. They retested them. Like, um, I think it was the Thursday they both had a, a positive. And then on the Friday, they did a retest. The Saturday, they did a retest. And they just kept coming back negative after that. Um, which, yeah, for Nuno, was a rare kind of a good twist of fate for him, a bit of a turn of luck. And and even on the day itself, um, in the early, people might not be aware of this unless they've read my talking points, in the early hours of Sunday morning ahead of the game, Nuno's longtime kind of right-hand man, Ian Cathro, became a father for the first time. His wife um, went to labour and had their first child. And so... Nuno lost the guy who stands alongside him, his collaborator, his tactics man, you know, the, the guy that he bounces all of his ideas off and everything during the game. So he lost him for the match. Um, and then obviously Tottenham go to a Newcastle side that are completely, you know, transformed in terms of morale because of everything that happened. It's <laughs> just like the poor bloke. I do feel sorry for him. He gets He gets criticism and some fans, you know, as with all managers, probably will never, ever take to him. They'll just decide that he's not the one they want. Um, but I do feel like the, the guy has had to come in and, and put out so many fires. And I just hope now that with this kind of, maybe not 11, maybe there's still some little tweaks to be made to it, but certainly the, the core of this Tottenham team now is starting to, to kind of get what he wants. He's starting to trust them. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, it's a big match against West Ham. That's a that's a real kind of a, a crunch one, I think, to see where they go forward from this. But you can't argue he, he's, he's getting, on the whole, the results. 
Five wins from eight is, you know, it's pretty good, isn't it? When when you think about it, it's, I mean, very rare you're going to get someone in the Premier League now who's going to win all eight of the first games or seven of them. It's so competitive now, the Premier League, you could lose against anyone. I think the one problem he's had is it's the manner of the defeats, just big defeats against Crystal Palace, Chelsea and Arsenal. But past two Premier League games, they've bounced back, so there's plenty of positives to take going forward. Uh, I mean, I've got to do some on this later for the website about the his strongest 11. I mean, you've just alluded to it now. We'll go over it. I think he's pretty much there in terms of his strongest 11. I think there's probably two positions maybe what could change but well in goal I don't think there's any question it's Hugo Lloris yeah right back I think that's one of the one positions what could potentially change at the moment what did you think of Uh, Emerson yesterday uh, started slowly but that's probably understandable given he only played what early hours of Friday morning for Brazil I think he grew into the game and got a lot better. Uh, yeah, a bit, bit of a mixed bag, to be honest. But I mean, big call from Nuno to put his South American player straight yeah, into the team. Yeah, lagged as well, what I mentioned. Because I think many probably expected him to rest them, given the quick turnaround. Uh, no, I thought Emerson did all right, especially as the game wore on. Uh, yeah, I think obviously... Not as good as his Villa performance, but I thought some no. positives there. He grew into it. He grew into it. He, he had an absolute horror show, really, to start off. He was very much chasing his tail. Uh, he looked like a jet-lagged player who'd been told, you're playing again. And it was like, okay. But I do think, I think he's got quite a bit of character. I think you can tell that about him already. He's um, He's not a guy that gives up. He keeps on running, keeps on pushing forward. There's still... Technically, little bits and pieces that he's got to work on. He's young. He's only 22. Um, I'd be intrigued to see whether how the battle with Jaffet Tanganga does go. You know, Jaffet's got to take every chance he gets. Because um, at the moment, I'm not seeing lots more from an attacking sense from Emerson. And that's the thing that really is meant to set him apart, maybe, from Tanganga. So I, I would admit, if I was Jaffet Tanganga, I'd probably be looking at that and thinking, okay. Okay, he's not the complete different right back to me that I think maybe we I was expecting and all of that. So I can I can have a proper fair fight with him. Um, but yeah, there's there's more to come from Emerson. I think he'll we we very quickly judge people, don't we? We've got to obviously understand he's coming to a very different league and he's only what played a handful of games. So yeah, he, he could make that right spot his own uh, right back spot. But yeah, another another big lesson I think yesterday for him. Centre backs, I think obviously Christian Romero is an automatic starter now. I think that's been made clear over the uh, past few games. Uh, again, I thought he should have done a lot better for their first goal. He was just caught ball watching, wasn't he? But as you said earlier, it was good movement from Callum Wilson. I think you've got to give him credit there. But uh, in Romero and Dyer are the Nunes two preferred players in that centre-back partnership the one thing with Dyer for me what lets him down is it's just the odd moments in the games isn't it very odd moments <laughs> thing what 
lets him down. Obviously, the own goal yesterday. Uh, there's always good with Dyer at the back, but there's also a couple of mad moments. What probably you know ruin it a bit for him. I just think he needs to find his consistency more. Do you see those two as the centre back pairing then? They probably are at the moment. It's a tough one. I I mean, you look at it both ways. Davinson Sanchez had a really good start to the season. Arguably, probably the best defender Spurs had at the start of the season. I've always felt that Joe Roden's been treated a bit harshly. You know, I don't don't think he's ever done anything particularly wrong, and but finds himself probably fourth choice centre back right now. Um. It was a really funny performance from Diane Romero. They both kind of both kind of mirrored each other's performances in that Romero had a I felt a poor start to the game. He was all over the place. So there's a few lunges. He's got this thing about at one moment he can look incredibly composed and really kind of bossing the back line. And then the next moment he kind of feels he has to be almost too aggressive, and he lunges into a challenge, which then leaves loads of space behind him if he messes it up. Um, I think we saw him do that against Villa, didn't we? And um, and it, he kind of he did a few of those again at St. James's Park, and there was one moment, Eric Dyer was screaming at him. To, it's almost to stay away, because Romero was kind of coming across, I think, to almost help cover for with Dyer. And Dyer was just like, no, stay over because you're leaving like a huge gap behind you. And so it proved to be. I think Spurs just happened to get away with it. But then Romero, I actually felt kind of grew into the game after that. A bit like Emerson, he kind of, they worked out what they were dealing with with Newcastle. And to be honest, without being too blunt, it wasn't a lot. They weren't really, you know, uh, St. St. Maximum was, it's a little bit like, not in terms of style of play, but in terms of end product, a little bit like um, Adama Traore for me, in that there's a lot of great build-up stuff. There's a lot of, oh, this guy's a threat. How do we deal with him? He's going to get past us. But it's just what happens at the end of it. You know, There's not always that kind of end product. And I think Spurs did find that with him. And then Dyer was like the flip side. I felt he was doing really well in my player ratings. He was kind of heading towards a seven. He'd had a solid game. He did look good. He dealt with much of what comes in the way. Look, he's not the fastest defender in the world. And if you are going to put him up against people that can get past him, of course they are. And that that's probably the issue for 80, 85% of center backs. You know, they are going to have that. But like you say, just silly little decisions that he makes sometimes, which just blot his copybook for what would be a, a decent performance. And, and yeah, and the free kick he gave away for the own goal was daft. There was no need to kind of go in for that challenge. There was no danger whatsoever for what um, I can't remember. Was it Joe Linton? I was trying to remember who he brought down, but it was there was just no real danger of what was happening. And then yeah, and then under no pressure whatsoever to kind of essentially knee the ball into your own net. Not even from close range either. It was it was an incredible finish with his knee, um, and it's just that little thing that lets uh, just prevents Eric Dyer, I think, from becoming the top centre back that I think he believes that he can be. Um, and until he fixes that, I don't, I don't think he unfortunately will be. But uh, no, I, I think those two. It looks like in Nuno's eyes, maybe have got it tied up those centre spots because. I think he sees Dyer as maybe the the leader of the centre backs he has, um, and like we say, I think Romero is probably the best centre back he has. So I think that looks like why he's pairing them together. But uh, 
injuries, uh, performances in cup matches, all of that could change that. That that, that pairing maybe could, could alter as the season goes on. I think a left back is a pretty straightforward choice. I know his form has yeah. been not as good as it was last season, but I thought yesterday we started to see Sergio Regalan of last season under Jose Mourinho. Yeah. I thought it was very impressive, both well, on and off the season. yeah, both on and off the pitch yesterday. I thought it was uh, very good, uh, really good going forward. Did his bit defensively as well, and I think getting that. Assist for Tongi's goal will help him. So I don't think he'd got one, had he, prior to yesterday. I'll have to Maybe double check that, not. but I don't think he had one. So I think, well, yeah, that's... get one to Delhi's penalty, does he? So, yeah, it's uh, Regulon at left-back. Then, as we've he said... Was then, he was yeah. very good. He was very good. I think the one thing for Sergio Regulon is... He's so he can be, he's got so much about him going forward. I mean, the touch to take the Eric Dyer's ball down for Tongi's goal. If you if you haven't seen that, watch it again. The touch is so good to bring it down, and he's got that pace and he's got the ability to motor past someone. I feel that he does need to do more with what he's got. It's a little bit like I mean, we'll talk about Lucas in a bit, but it's a similar thing of you've got these incredible talents. You definitely need to have more of a final product with it, and I think that's. That's the one thing with um, with Regulon. His, his defending was much better yesterday. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think he's got that left left back spot tied up. We've both said as well earlier that I think midfield picks itself at the moment. So that's Hybiak yeah. and Skip. So we'll move on to the front four. And for me, that front four stays as it is at the moment. Uh, I think that team picks itself. I thought they were good against Villa and didn't really probably hit another level yesterday, especially Tongi. Uh, thought he was outstanding in that number 10 role. Lucas, for me, played well. Uh, some good runs. I think a lot of his good play as well came centrally at times, where he came into the middle rather than out on the wing. For Lucas, it's, it's just consistency. Again, we've seen it time and time again, where he'll beat one man, beat his second, and then he'll just run into his third man or he'll lose the ball. Uh, but he was uh, a favourite under Jose Mourinho. He always had him in his team initially when he started his Tottenham reign in November 2019. You can see why he's a favourite under Nuno as well because he'll do a job going back as well. He can, you know, take the ball forward, get Spurs moving up the pitch. So, as well as Steven Bergwijn did play in the opening three games, that injury potentially could be costly for him, really, because Lucas could nail down his place in in this front four. Would you agree? It's the front four picks itself. I think so. I think so. I think Tongi, you know, was maybe feeling the pressure from Lacelso, um, and I think that's hopefully resulted in the performance we saw um, at St James's Park. He was superb. He really, really was good. Um, and I think when you've got him, you know, he's not going to be your Christian Eriksen. He's not the same kind of player. But if he can at least take some of the burden that Eriksen had, the creative, the playmaking, the knitting the, the moves together. I mean, if you look at that third goal, which was beautiful, it, it, a lot of it came from the sudden pivot of Tongi Onimele. Suddenly, that ability to just turn inside. And he plays to Lucas, who, you know, terrific touch, terrific ball to Kane. And that's what I want to see more of from Lucas. Lucas, quite rightly, gets a lot of plaudits for his work rate and his explosive kind of direct running that he does. But it's just, just I think if if there's a weakness to his game, it's that 
decision making when he gets the ball in the area. It's what he did for Kane for that third goal, getting it to him was exactly what he needs to do more of. But there's other times in the game where early on, I remember he get, got into a really good position on the right hand side of the box and he just sent the cross into the stratosphere. It was just, I don't even know how he managed it. It was actually probably harder to do that than just put the ball across into the danger area. Um, and that, that's the one thing that lets him down. And I think, you know, Son and Kane obviously are, are guaranteed their spots. They just are. You know, Son's a funny one. I'd actually say probably yesterday, Lucas did more in build-up play, was actually probably more impressive. But you know with Son that, for instance, with the third goal, you can trust him to be at that back post. He's going to slam that ball home. And that's what you just get. He is just just got that extra quality in the final third. And I think Lucas at the moment very much has got that spot tied up, I think. But there's definitely scope for the likes of Bergvine. You know, he'll get minutes in the you know European matches coming up in Vitesse. Um, you've got Brian Hill, who's shown lots of good things as well. And essentially, if they can show that they can work as hard as Lucas, because that's got to be their base requirement. That's why Lucas is loved, because he works so hard in both halves. So if Hill and Bergwijn can, can work as hard as him, but also provide an end product, that's how they can kind of see a path to getting in front of him. Um, and uh, yeah, that's probably where the battle lies, I think, in that kind of those attacking areas. I mean, Tongi, there's no secret, Tongi has to be consistent. He has to keep doing this. We need to see this Tongi every single time he plays because, you know, as soon as he doesn't, then the Celso question will return. Uh, and the Celso, you know, he's been doing very well for Argentina. Um, he's been playing incredibly well and and he, he's obviously versatile enough that you can play him in a midfield three or you can play him as a number 10 or you can even play him on the, on the left or right of a three behind Kane as well. So he... He kind of, I mean, I talk about Hill and um, uh, Bergwijn competing with Lucas. You know, even Lacelso could compete with him as well. But um, yeah, with Tongi, it's about consistency. Hopefully, with Harry Kane, I think, especially after he got that goal, he looks to be a bit more of the Kane that we we know and love. He was spraying the ball out with a lot more confidence to out to the flanks. Um, Sonny, I think there's still more to come from him, which is exciting. You know, it's great. We know how good he can be, but. Um, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think we're almost at the eleven. Um, but it's Tottenham Hotspur, so they'll probably all get injured within a week. <laughs> we we'll talk about a completely different eleven. Must say, with Kane as well, his finish wasn't one of a player short on confidence at the moment. It was an excellent Did you finish. Think he thought he was offside. Maybe it crossed his mind that he actually thought he was, and it was just that actually took all the pressure out of the shot. It was just a nonchalant, natural reaction. Maybe I think I think you could be right there because. Uh, Obviously, the TV cameras panned to him after he scored and the look on his face suggested that I'm offside here. So it could have been one of those, like he says, when all the pressure's just off him, I'll just lift it over the keeper. But what I must also say is when the goal were given, every Tottenham player went to Kane. Every yeah. player went to celebrate with him. I think that was important, especially given his uh, form in the league this season. The goals just haven't been there, but... Didn't he says that's ten in all competitions for him? So I mean, he's been he's been written off already. <laughs> only you know, only Harry Kane could be having a bad season. He's already in double figures. <laughs> it's just mad, isn't it? But hopefully, this is the first of many. You know what Kane's like. I think once he gets one, he gets on the roll at the moment, and 
hopefully uh, will be a goal or two at the London Stadium on Sunday. Then we'll move ahead now to what's next for Tottenham and Thursday. The Europa Conference League returns. Tottenham are away at Vitesse Arnhem in Holland. I mean, this is a game where Nuno could potentially just name uh, a brand new eleven after not making any changes yesterday. Yeah. Rob Guest is on the road to Tirana, aren't you? You are, you are <laughs> heading out to the Netherlands. You are um, complying with all of their very uh, strict COVID rules, which is uh, going to see you tested almost every day i think every um, day yeah and that's the irony isn't it the irony is that i've now had it so i can i i can go into these scenarios and, and certainly for at least six months not having to worry about any tests not 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 worry about them but know that it's very unlikely i'm getting anything back whereas you're going to be put through the ringer i think in the netherlands there but it'll be an interesting match for you i, d- I do think that this is some people, you know, probably won't have any interest in it and they'll only be looking towards West Ham. But for me, and I'm hoping for you out there as well, when you when you head off to Arnhem, that you're going to see a, a lot of players trying to desperately make their point. And I think that's, as a journalist, I think that's that's also can be really interesting to cover. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a, a good game, I think. There's, like you said, a number of players who need to prove the point and it's just going to be interesting in terms of his team selection uh, I'd like to see Dane Scarlett get another goal I thought in the NS Miura game there was certainly positives there but there was just that final ball going through to him what was lacking at times but you know if Brian Hill is on form as uh, it has been in his recent performance of Tottenham if Lacelso can replicate his Argentina form for Spurs uh, you know there could be a few chances there Going to be intrigued to see who his centre-back partnership is, though. I think Sanchez starts, but given he started Doherty last time against Ennis Miura right back, does Tanganga then come into his thinking at centre-back, potentially, instead of Roden? And also, I don't know how the rules work. Is there any issue for Sanchez in coming from a red-list country? to then going across... I don't know how that works, because obviously the UK has his exemptions, so that means that he can just continue to... I saw him yesterday. He was actually he was the one player on the bench wearing a mask. Clearly, that must be part of it, that he has to continue to wear his mask um, you know, when he's not playing and all of that. But I do wonder how that works. As we were just saying, you know, you've got through all these battery of tests that you're going to have to go through just to be able to have a meal and stuff like that. So I do wonder how that works with Sanchez. I should have maybe asked someone yesterday. I'll ask today. But I do wonder, having come from one of those few now red list countries, yeah, I mean, perhaps he's not allowed to travel. I don't know. And before people go out, but Alistair Gold <laughs> reveals, as like, I'm not revealing anything. I genuinely do not know. Um, you'd imagine Sanchez and Roden would be the pet ring. But uh, yeah, like you say, it's... It's a funny one. You could name a whole different eleven. I, I personally, do you remember when they went to Pesos and Ian Cathro remained back in England and trained essentially the starting eleven for Wolves? I think it was. Um, I personally would probably do that again. I'd say just get the team ready for West Ham. Give them a whole week to prepare. Um, obviously, there's a little danger element to it in the. Let's say you have got Scarlet up front, then you're not taking Kane as your as your uh, your insurance policy. But maybe 
maybe you just look at this game and say, well, if the players themselves can't do it on picks, then we just take the hit in this one game and then we do get a draw or a loss or something. Because I just think the West Ham game is so much more important. And let's be honest, Mrs. Cathro as well, having just had a baby, uh, she'd probably be far happier to have Ian Cathro around in the UK for the next week as well. Um, I mean, he may have paternity leave. I don't know how it works at football club. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I would completely change that 11 myself. I would. I'm, I'm not always a massive fan of that, but I think he needs to this week. Well, I think if you went with Bellini in goal, uh, Doherty or Tanganga at right back, Roden and Sanchez as his centre backs, Ben Davis left back, Winks and Lacelso in midfield within a front four of Bergwijn, Delhi, uh, Brian Hill and Dane Scarlett. I think that's a good 11 on paper. The, it is. Yeah, it is. I mean, but we've said might that not, before in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there might not be as many options on the bench if you're going to leave the 11 from Newcastle at home, but that's still a good enough team to get a result in Europe. Uh, so I, that's what I'd go with. I'd just change everyone. I didn't. The ones on the bench yesterday need to play, and then Joe Rudd and Dane Scarlett, who weren't included, they should come in to the thinking as well. So for that one, yeah, I would I would change the eleven. Uh, what I must say as well, whilst we're on Vitesse, if you are planning on going to the game, do make sure you read on the Tottenham website about all uh, all the travel things you need to do in regards to yeah. testing. So you need to fill out documents uh, to actually get out of the country you need to do well I'm down to do a test in Amsterdam when the land and that will give you then like basically a 24 hour pass so you can go into restaurants and sporting events etc then got another one to do in Arnhem on the Thursday before the game to get into the game uh, and then I think flying home should be pretty smooth sailing hopefully uh, so yeah if you are planning on going up do check beforehand because you don't want to get to the airport and they turn you away. Yes, wise words from Robert Guest there, our international ambassador. International <laughs> relations between the Netherlands and the United Kingdom have never been as strong um, because Robert Guest is being sent over there as an envoy. <laughs> now, it should be good. Honestly, I, I, I'm, I am jealous. I, I think you'll, I think you'll, uh, you know, it's a football country in the Netherlands. They love it. I know a lot of Dutch people. Um, and uh, they absolutely adore their football and they play good football as well. You know, you should, should have a decent technical level from the VTS players. It's not going to be a game that Spurs can just write off as an easy one at all. However, if that 11, you know, the shadow 11, we could call it, if they can't do the job, then I always think that says more about Tottenham or them than anything else. And then... Following the Vitesse game on Thursday, it is another London derby on Sunday against West Ham. This is going to be a tough game. This is going to be a really, really tough game. Uh, I watched West Ham yesterday and they played very well against Everton, especially in the first yeah. half. They've some big size, haven't they? And Everton. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, they did. They played there really well. Maybe didn't deserve the win. I thought a draw would probably be the fair result yesterday. Okay. But they've got some good players, haven't they? Antonio's going to cause a handful up front. Ben Rama, Bowen, Suchek in the middle. Declan Rice has been excellent for them. Fornells is a good player. Uh, he, 
they've got a good team. David Moyes has built a really good team in this. Won't be straightforward league at the London Stadium. It was 2-1 defeat. So West Ham got a couple of quick goals in after half-time. I can remember Lingard scoring. Uh, this isn't going to be straightforward at all, but I think Spurs will go into the game in confident mood uh, following two wins in the Premier League. Things are slowly starting to come together for Spurs. So hopefully there will be a good performance to follow. We've not seen them in the London derby so far this season. I mean, what are you expecting on Sunday at West Ham? You know, it's a funny one because West Ham, we mustn't forget, are also playing on Thursday night, which is, you know, Spurs often when they come into these games um, against West Ham. West Ham in previous years haven't been qualifying for Europe. So West Ham pretty much are always super fresh and ready for these games, whereas Spurs have often come in from some midweek game first. And, and in a derby, you know, whatever, whatever people say, you need to be fully fresh and ready and, and absolutely going to give you all, especially, I don't want to use the old cliche, it's West Herb's Cup final and all this sort of stuff, which I know Spurs fans do enjoy using. But they, there's no doubting they really get themselves up for these games, the West Ham players. They really, really do. And if you're not going to match that, again, that has to be the basic requirement. So I, I do, I'm intrigued to see how, whether, I think they're playing Genk, aren't they? I think how how much of a stronger team West Ham have to put out because maybe their squad isn't perhaps got that as strong a second eleven as Spurs have. Um, I'm going to hit a Spurs fan now going, strong second eleven. what are you talking about? But it, but it is, it is. You know, we, we've just said that back, that, that, that 11 that we've just said, and it's essentially, it's a decent 11. It might not be the perfect 11, and it hasn't gelled yet and all of that, and then, you're not going to play it probably in the Premier League week in, week out. But uh, I'd certainly say squad-wise, Spurs have probably got a stronger squad, although I do think West Ham have have come on leaps and bounds under David Moyes. He has done such an underrated job. He really has. Um, I'd, I'd say West, Spurs-West Ham matches over recent years, on the whole, the you know, last uh, result we were talking about aside, they've probably had more joy Spurs away than they have at home. I think for some reason West Ham just seems to have had a real kind of understanding of how to beat Tottenham at home. I mean, I'm trying to think, has Spurs beaten West Ham at, in, at the um, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium yet? Uh, I don't think so. I think they lost the first one, didn't they, when Antonio they scored? The the, I mean, was that 2018-19? Um, Last season was the 3-3 free free when they should yeah. have won. That game should yes. have been out of sight. Uh, I don't think I've done it. Yeah, I don't think they have. And, and, but but for some reason, away from home, they normally have these games where they 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 have a really good period in the game, Spurs, and they get themselves ahead, and then they start to get shaky, and that's going to be the key. It's they've got to maintain this newfound resolve when they've come up against a bit of adversity. If they can continue to do that, that'll put them in perfect stead for the West Ham match because West Ham will give everything. They will fight for everything. And just I'd, for Spurs, I think they'll hope that the Thursday game maybe takes more out of West Ham than it does Spurs. Um, but yeah, this, this is going to be a tough game. And, and I think the problem is, is Nuno... Has done. I, I feel he's done really well since you know those dreadful three derbies. 
And uh, unfortunately, though, a lot of the good that was done in the last couple of games can be very quickly undone by another derby defeat. Nothing that upsets fans more <laughs> than losing a derby. And when you've lost three of them in a row um, and potentially make it four in a row, it just, just raises so many question marks despite everything he's battling against. So, uh, yeah, another tough game. Antonio is always... Always a thorn in Spurs' side. Um, I'm a big Jared Bowen fan as well. I think I still look back to decision to uh, go for Jack Clark over him and, and kind of scratch my head completely. And it's no disrespect to Jack Clark. Jack Clark could still develop, get minutes somewhere and go on to be a very good young player. But if you look at it purely on paper and the impact of the two players, albeit ones of different ages, it looks like a no-brainer decision that should have been made. Because um, I think Jared Bowen has is, is shown that he's a very good Premier League player. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's 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 one of those games that has is, is produced some absolute classics over the years. I will always look at the Paul Stelteri last gasp kind of winner as that was just the most ridiculous game back in the Martin Joel era. Um, I think it's his birthday today, Paul Stelteri as well. So that was very nice and topical. Um, I didn't even I didn't even mean to to go there, but um, but there you go. But um, yeah, yeah, tough game. I think if Spurs can do something good from it, then it um, yeah, it, it, I think it puts them really on the right path. You know, it really does. I've been having a look whilst we've been talking about West Ham about West Ham's results so far this season after the European games, after winning at Dinamo Zagreb in the Europa League they then went and lost at home to Manchester United 2-1 and then last time out after they beat Rapid Vienna 2-0 at home they went and lost 2-1 at home to West Ham so could potentially be a hat-trick on the cards or maybe this is just a kiss of death <laughs> <laughs> the wrong kiss, kiss of death so yeah it's, it's going to be a very interesting game at the London Stadium we'll have coverage uh, as always on football.london you won't be there with Sunday Ali uh, you're not going to be here for a while now for the next I think six Tottenham games you're off on your <laughs> holidays and people are probably thinking what you've just had that time off with Covid and now you're doing that but uh, yeah now this was something that has been planned for a long time that's um, kind of Covid has moved it about all over the place but uh, we are finally going to get a little break as a family um, but I shall be keeping an eye a very close eye still on everything I can't ever as people know switch off from Tottenham Hotspur so I uh, I will be checking in and um, potentially might be able to come on the podcast in the middle of it all there's like a, a day that I'm around so I might be able to do that but uh Hopefully, you'll get to see lots of success and report on lots of success and I'll come back and ruin it. <laughs> yeah, that could well be the case. Anyway, uh, we'll leave that there for today's Golden Guest Top Tottenham. The latest episode will be back next week to look back on the Vitesse and West Ham games and then look forward to Burnley away in the Cup. Another trip to Turf Moor. Looking forward to that. And then the <laughs> Manchester United... Yeah, I'm always at Turf Moor. So, yeah, it's going to be good to be back in Lancashire. And then Manchester United to come at home on the Saturday evening, a rare Saturday game for Tottenham. 
big big few weeks coming up for Tottenham, but at least they're heading in the right direction following that two wins in the last two Premier League games as ever. Just keep with us at London for all your latest Tottenham news.